Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-25. If our bigger picture under oppression is of the world as Egypt, then we're not going to do the great escape ourselves. We're not going to overthrow the government and turn this Egypt into the kingdom of heaven. So if we are awaiting our exodus, we want as many people to come with us when our redemption draws near. Welcome to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. And I'm Suzanne, Avi's wife and helper. And we're going to talk about the war of the worlds. Two kingdoms, as Yeshua said in uh, John 18, 36, there is a kingdom above and a kingdom below. We're going to find out some thoughts and ideas about how we should be um, identifying with the issues that are going on in our world today and who we're fighting and who we're not fighting, who is the real enemy as opposed to who is just a vessel and not the real enemy. So the answer to the question, what is our divine mandate? Should we be found fighting the system? Yeshua identifies, I think, the answer to that in Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Go ahead and read that for us. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So this is why Yehovah did not let David build the house for the ark to rest in Jerusalem, but he gave that responsibility over to Solomon. It was specifically because David was a warrior. He yeah, was he was a man of war and he had shed blood. First Chronicles 22, 2-3, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of Jehovah or Yahweh and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, Elohim said to me, you shall not build a house for my name. And what is the reason given for why he would not let him build that house? Because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. I'm tying that into Matthew 5, 44, 45. Love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Yes. And if we choose to fight against our oppressors, we will bring them down upon us and we will be persecuted, no doubt. If we choose to not fight against our oppressors and we live justly and righteously and proclaim the Messiah of heaven and the kingdom to come, this too will bring us persecution. You mean we get persecuted on both sides regardless? Yes, regardless. But the reward is different. The purpose is different. The, the outcome is different. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake or for the sake of justness, which is what we're after in Yeshua. Yeah, it doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted. Say that again. Yeshua doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted. 
He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, mm. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Many people have been persecuted over the thousands of years, mm. many, mm. but not all have been persecuted for righteousness sake. That's mm. the difference. So he says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake. Mm. For his name. For his name. Then he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if we're uh, persecuted for righteousness sake, if we're persecuted for his sake, the Yeshua ben Yah, not the Yeshua bar Abbas, mm. and our reward will be in heaven. Our reward will not be now. It might not be now, probably won't be now. Our reward will be to come. So if we're looking for a reward now, that's going to be a very temporal reward. So John fifteen eighteen, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. You know, kind of like, yay, yay, you know. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. That's really interesting. Yeah, and the world hates other things too. So not everyone who is hated is necessarily part of the kingdom. It's what are you being hated for? Are you being hated for righteousness? Are you being hated for his sake? And are you following his way, his way of Calvary? instead of cavalry. Yeah, you know, that, that's really insightful, John. It, it is what you're saying here, I, and I'm, I'm connecting to it really well. I, I'm understanding because a lot of people fight over the millennia. There's been many, many wars, one against another, and persecutions just because they didn't agree on a particular thing. But this is not about persecution in a general sense. This is about persecution because we carry his name and his teaching, his word. Yes. Which is different. It's quite different, yeah. Uh, John fifteen nineteen through 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So I suppose we can test ourselves by this to say who are we fighting because um, if we keep his word to pray for our enemies and to bless those who curse you then we are keeping his word if we are chopping off ears instead of healing ears we are not keeping his word it strikes home to me often the more i read about the horrifying things going on in the world the more i have to fight anger and hatred stirring up in my own heart i have to guard my heart all the time to not fall into this it's it's hard and the worse things get i think the harder it's going to be because we hate unrighteousness we hate the wrong things but how easily we can fall into um missing which kingdom we're fighting for well you have so much experience of that though you know being born and raised in south africa uh where we see so much of this going on all the time, though, even today. But even when you were a little girl, I mean, watching all these things. Yeah, as a little girl, I was pretty ignorant of most of those things. But as an adult and a young family with two little kids and being afraid for our safety and seeing all the things, horrible things going on, 
I was angry all the time. I wanted to chop off ears and heads all the time. And at one stage, I was so constantly angered by it that I clearly had um, God guide me to the parable of the sower and the seed, showing me in um, Mark 4 that I was of soil number three, that the cares and anxieties and worries of this world and what's going on in this world was strangling all my fruit. And I wasn't bearing fruit in his, for his kingdom. The thorns were strangling me. And then he took me to John 15, where he says, those that don't bear fruit, those will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So I allowed the oppression that was happening around me to strangle me and the fruit that I was bearing for the kingdom. I had so much anger and fear and anger, the interplay between the two going on all the time. We lived behind burglar bars, alarm systems, constantly under threats of being murdered in our beds. And um, that's what he showed me, that I, I was falling into that trap. I didn't want to love my enemy. I wanted to kill them, curse them. I wished bad things on them. I only loved my own and wanted to protect them. So I got sucked into this trap, absolutely got sucked into it, and it destroyed all my fruit bearing. By His grace, He pulled me out from that inside of myself. And I remember at school, we did a book called Animal Farm. Though I don't remember much about it, the thing that I do remember is that the animals revolted against the farmers, against the oppressors, right? And eventually the animals won, drove away the farmer and his family, and the pigs were leading this revolt, and the pigs moved into the farmer's house. And as the animals looked one night and looked through the window where the pigs were happily sitting, having done a power grab and sitting in the house of the farmer, the pigs looked exactly like people. So the pig now became the oppressor farmer. And I think that's the message that we should all get that the freedom fighter of today is the oppressor of tomorrow. And I might be oppressed now, but if I had won, I would become the oppressor. So um, we are all in the same boat. And our enemies is a baked-in sin and death inside of us all. If we choose to fight against our oppressors, we're going to get persecuted. And if we choose to not fight against our oppressors, but to live with righteousness and justice, uh, that too is also going to bring persecution. So really, we're going to get persecuted on both sides, but only one doing the pure good is the one that is going to bring us a reward in the midst of the persecution, which is what you've been saying. We will not receive a reward for doing evil. Yeah. And it's like contestants choose your weapons. And the weapon we choose is the sword of the Spirit. That should be our weapon of choice. The kingdom of our Heavenly Father is the allegiance that we have and the one we will lay our lives down for. Hmm. The primary identity is finding it in Him. So then, uh, what are we to do with all the wrong, all the evil, the corruption, everything that we see and that we're experiencing in our world that's taking place here and, uh, and taking the world over by storm? 
what are we to do with all of that? And uh, Yeah, because doing nothing, we all know doing nothing doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit right with any one of us. So doing nothing is not the option. Fighting with violence and aggression is not the option either. So what do we do? Yeah, evil abounds when good men do nothing. We have to do something, but we cannot do the wrong things right. We have to do the right things right. So we've already established pulling out a sword, acting in violence is the wrong thing. So being the best militia we can be is doing the wrong thing right. We have to do the right thing right. That answers the question though, because we're, we're sitting around here in our world and we're watching all these things come down and we're saying, let's just kill them all. You know, let's just get out there and cut off their heads. This is horrible what they're doing to us. Overthrow them, get them out of their positions of leadership and power and let's stand together. Blood will run in the streets if need be. Revolt, um, stand up and fight in any way. Take up your arms. So what is the right way? How do we do the right thing right? So you're saying that that kind of mentality is doing the right thing but the wrong way. No, the wrong thing, the right way. Okay, wait. You can either do the wrong thing the right way or do the right thing the right way. So if the wrong thing is taking up arms, Mm -hmm. if we take up arms the right way in the sense of being the best at this thing, but it's the wrong thing, then it's still wrong. So here's some passages here that we should consider. Uh, John uh, 3, 19 through 20. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. I'm sure you've done gardening and you lift up a a rock in the garden and when the bright sunshine hits the little bugs and everything down under the rock. You ever notice how those bugs go? Scattering, yes. And uh, isn't there a scripture talking about men will be scattering and seeking for caves to hide in when he returns and shakes things all over again? There will be men running to caves and finding dark spaces to hide in because the light is going to come shining. Hmm. I'm thinking of Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world, says Yeshua. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And again, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may scatter to the caves, that they may see your good actions and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Some people will scatter to the dark recesses of the caves, but uh, we're hoping that the good actions will glorify our Father. Um, John twelve forty six to 47 I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world." That is so profound. That is so unnatural (laughs) for my natural man, for my natural person. That is so unnatural. I want that mercy for me, but I want judgment for my enemy. And Ephesians 5, 8 through 13. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in Jehovah. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to Jehovah. 
So what is acceptable to Jehovah? Let's see that we go off and we, you know, kick them in the knees, cut off their heads, cut off their ears and maim our enemies and do what the zealots of Gamla did. Is that what is acceptable to Jehovah? So, so it looks like Paul, what he's saying here is have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. I like Don't fight them, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Reminds me of secret societies, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. So these secret societies that are... In the shadows, yeah. The shadows. All these people out there in these dark recesses, they're, they're shameful things, but we're to expose it. But are we to fight against them in the natural? We are to expose it. We are to clearly expose it, to proclaim salvation. And our, our motive of exposing would be so that they too would come to the light. So our mandate is not to beat up the enemy. Because Yeshua said that through him, we have already beaten the enemy. We are to proclaim salvation to those who are still held captive to the enemy. You you would agree with that. We are to be Jehovah's divine light and shine his light into the darkness and thus expose the one who is the real enemy. It's not Rome or however we would like to define Rome. Who is the true enemy, Zan? Our enemy is sin and death. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Inasmuch then as the sons of Israel have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, our Messiah, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power over death, that is, the Nahash, or the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There is the captives that are being set free. So regarding that... Well, I suppose if we have to apply this today, then Bill Gates is not my enemy. George Soros is not my enemy. The CDC, the WHO, Anthony Fauci, the secret societies, the Masons the secret brotherhood, skull and bones, the Illuminati, none of these are my enemy. They might be God's enemy, but it's for him to decide that. He knows the hearts of men. I don't. So it's not my judgment to decide if they're my enemy. I don't I don't know if a lot of people are going to agree with that, though, that these people are not our enemy. Well, I think it's up to God to decide who's his enemy. We're not to fight our enemies. We're to love our enemy. It's for him to decide who's his enemy. I was his enemy. Until he got to me, I was his enemy. Hmm. That was me, hmm. right? When we crucify the Son of God hmm. and we choose the Bar Abbas, hmm. we are his enemy. I crucified him many years by crucifying his word, by not believing it, by, by cutting it down. I was his enemy. Paul, Shaul, was his enemy hmm. until on his road to Damascus, and he became the Paul that we love reading today. So it's not for us to decide who's God's enemy. He will decide who's his enemy. Our mandate is to call them out of darkness into light. 
He came to save the world. He will come to judge the world later, but it will be his judgment to make, not ours. In the meantime, we have to stick to our mandate, which is proclaiming peace to them. If we fight them as flesh and blood entities who are constantly coming against us, then I, I believe we've got it wrong and we're not following the mandate of our Messiah. These are the ones that are bound by the true enemy. They are not the enemy. They are... They are people like us. It's a matter of degrees. I might not have been as evil as whoever's name you want to put in there in your determination of true evil. But it's not for us to make a judgment on decide what is good or evil in our own eyes. It's for him. It's in his eyes what is good or evil. And it's not a matter of degrees. You can have 99% good and 1% evil you're still from the wrong tree. So you might not be whoever you choose to be this evil person today. You might not be as evil as Bill Gates, but if you've got even 1%, you don't make the grade. So it's not about degrees of evil. You're either from the tree of life or you're not. Those are the two categories. So these people are not to be our enemy, but they are, as you say, bound by the true enemy who is not physical. It's not a flesh and blood enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. And our heart should always be the same as the heart of our Father. He would let that none perish. Is that our heart? Then we would pray for the people that today we wish harm against. We should pray for them and wish for them that they should turn. Jonah, you can understand why Jonah said, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. Those guys are so evil. I don't want them saved. I want them destroyed. We shouldn't be like the Jonah who wants to run away from proclaiming the gospel to the Ninevites of today. Um, that's not the heart of, of the God we serve, not the heart of our Heavenly Father. We are like Jonah running away um, because we know he's going to forgive them if they turn. Now, we don't want them forgiven. We want them punished, right? Mm. Look what they've done to us. Look at what they've done to our children, what they are doing to us, what they're doing to the economy. Punish them. Don't save them. But that's not our, our Heavenly Father's heart. It's not. So the objective is to advance the cause of Matthew 5.44, if I am reading that correctly. But I say to you, love your enemies. In Hebrew, the word love is hav. In Hebrew, it's, it's in a command form, actually means to give. So it's to give to your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That, that is impossible. I mean, I, Does that mean we have to love Bill Gates and we have to bless him ooh, and do good to him? Um, yeah, it, it's what it says. Either this is what we're following or we have to choose a different gospel, a different, a different Bible. Then we are choosing a different son of the father. We have to love George Soros, the CDC, the WHO, Anthony Fauci, the Masonic secret societies, the skull and bones. Not the systems, people. Ooh. We have to love the people. Ooh. It doesn't mean we approve of what they do. We expose what they do. Ooh. But we love them and we seek for them to come to the same salvation that we have. You're giving me a cardiac. <laughs> That's horrible. I feel the clenching inside my... I, I just I just want to pull my sword out and say... Cut them down. <laughs> off their heads. You know, hard, it's a hard word. 
It is. And um, mm. it's not an easy path that we've chosen to walk on. And he, where's that verse that he says, if you love those that are easy to love, mm. we are no different than the pagans who also love their own. We are not different showing ourselves set apart from anyone else if we're only loving our own and those who are easy to love. We will be known by how we treat the ones that are hard to love. Mm. And this is when he's coming to bring that division in his own body first. Say, which side do you choose? Which Messiah do you choose? The Bar Abbas or the Ben Yao? And um, I know it's a battle in me all the time, mm. all the time. But it's good to be at least be aware of it so you won't be caught off guard. So being aware of that struggle within ourselves makes it easier to not be deceived. Our so, tendency is for Bar Abbas for sure. Only in the spirit can we make a different choice. So for us, our defining moment of victory over the enemy is yet to come. It will be realized at the great resurrection of the last day when we are all resurrected into the eternal kingdom of uh, Yeshua, the Messiah, Mashiach, uh, which is then brought down to this earth later. We can kind of see that in Revelation, uh, wherein uh, there shall be a government where righteousness dwells uh, for them who do not have a share in the eternal kingdom of Messiah. Their defining moment of victory is to be realized when they overcome Rome. However one defines Rome and making this world an eternal kingdom. Well, I suppose that if we manage to overthrow Rome and we think we have our reward, yes, we would have our reward now. And then just in a matter of passing of time, we will become the next Rome. And we've missed beating the true enemy. And Yeshua says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we don't even have to fight the world. He's already done it. Zan, we're going to come back and talk more about these ideas and pick up where we've left off here. We'll be back after the break. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai, Real Israel Talk Radio. We're here to explore and discover insights into the ancient biblical, Jewish, and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. We will return for the second half of the program after this short break. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-25. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, and uh, we're continuing our discussion uh, about the War of the Worlds, about the two kingdoms above and below, and what we're supposed to be doing or not doing, who we're fighting or who we're not fighting, who we're choosing or who we're not choosing, and we want to talk about these things, so let's continue where we left off, okay? You know, this world is so horribly broken. And Yeshua says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we don't even have to fight the world. He's already done it. He's done it on Calvary. So what do we choose? We choose a side. And we choose to, by our lives and by our love, declare the side that we have chosen. Live according to the side that we have chosen. And shine that light. And that is what we are called to do. I still think it's a hard word to hear. It is. It's, it's very hard. It's in even harder to live by it. We read it all the time. We hear it all the time. But are we living by it? Mm-hmm. I fail all the time. 
It, it really is, and uh, I don't think it can be repaired. Well, Scripture says it's not going to be repaired. Not, not under the current conditions. It's going to. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth coming. So, why bother trying to fix something that's going to get thrown away anyway? It's like the sinking Titanic. Mm-hmm. We can all get a group of people together. Bring your cups. Let's let's gather and start scooping out water, guys. If we can just get more of you to join us, let's scoop out water faster. Get get enough people that we can take different shifts. Do a day and night. You know, we can save the sinking ship. Let's be zealous and get bigger buckets. Let's scoop out faster. Work longer hours. Fight harder. That's not our mandate. Our mandate is to call people into the life raft. Um, this ship is going down, it's sinking, and it's meant to go down. Without it, we will never have a new heaven and earth. But getting people into the life raft, that's what we need to do. And the same tragedy that happened with the Titanic in 1912, where mm-hmm. there weren't enough lifeboats, mm-hmm. um, there's plenty of room on this lifeboat, plenty mm-hmm. of room. Mm-hmm. The tragedy now is if we don't call people into it. Don't save the sinking ship, rather call people out of it. So it's a hard word because we want to say, no, you deserve to go down with the boat. Some of the names that you've mentioned, um, very active in our world for evil. Well, what appears to be a great evil, we want to say, you deserve death. You deserve to go down with the ship. Before I got called into the life raft, I was working for evil. Maybe I was not as good as some of these guys today. <laughs> I was probably not as successful as any of them. Yeah. I was a little minion in that kingdom of darkness, but I was still in it. So there's no difference between me and him other than the position in that kingdom we have. But we were in the same kingdom. So I'm seeing Genesis 6:17. Jehovah says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life, everyone or everything that is on the earth shall die. I mean, there is going to be a renewal of heaven and earth. Whatever is here that doesn't survive the judgment of the fire. Yeah, um, and like in the days of Noah, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, calling people into the ark. Whether they hear or not, whether they get into the ark or not, that's their choice. That's not up to us. But we have to call them in. Living by the choice we have made and proclaiming that, that is what we should be busy with. So then I would ask the question again, as uh, it has been uh, addressed previously, what are we to do about all that is happening today with the agendas that are being laid down upon all the peoples all over the world? What are we to do? We have here, uh, you know, stay-in-place lockdowns, a soon-to-come mandatory vaccination for everyone, it seems. All this social distancing stuff, human chipping, uh, the 5G, uh, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, the 666 stuff, the intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance stuff, population control, the mark of the beast, this and so much more. What are we supposed to do with all this Stuff. Expose these things. Shining our divine light is a good thing. And yes, even a resistance against the evil, as Yehovah directs us, which of course will ultimately lead to persecution for many. Back in, in the Hebrew scriptures, Yehovah was not lax at all about saying to certain people, I want you to go in and take care of this or this or this. And he made it very clear, that's what I want you to do. So I want you to do that in every case. 
No, he did not. You're right, Avi. Um, he kept Israel in Egypt until the wickedness of the Amorites was complete and until he decided it's time to bring judgment on them. And then he sent them in when their wickedness was complete. And that wasn't up to Israel to decide when that point was. And if we are waiting for a final exodus, we are to wait in this Egypt, even if it be under oppression and slavery, until he decides the wickedness of this world is complete. And then he will bring us out by his strong right arm. And it's not for us to fight them under our own leadership, if not under his, as he brought us out of Egypt. So that metaphor that will become a true reality fight, um, it's now to be in the spirit. I don't believe it's to be in any other way than that, because then we have to basically cut out all these words that Yeshua said. So we're to expose all these things by shining our divine light and... The resistance that we have, it has to be according to his definition that when he says, okay, the wickedness has arrived to this level, it is now complete. Now I want you to take out and do whatever. No, and we can't read the story only up to the point where it suits our own motive. When um, Miriam and Joseph had the little baby Yeshua, where -hmm. did they flee to? They fled from a wicked oppressor who was killing babies. What does that remind you of? It reminds us of Pharaoh in Egypt, right? But they weren't in Egypt. They were in Israel. Mm -hmm. And where did they flee to? Where did Yah tell them to flee to? To Egypt. So what is Egypt defined as? A piece of territory on this earth? No, Egypt is a spirit of oppression with a pharaoh from a different realm. If um, that oppressor is an oppressive baby killer who wants to kill the word of God, No matter what piece of real estate he sits on, he's defining the spirit of Egypt. So Joseph and Mary, while being in the land of Israel, they were fleeing the true Egypt that Israel has become at that point through corrupted leadership and the wickedness. Because Jerusalem is described as Egypt, as Sodom, as Babylon. Ultimately, I think if we follow that message through, then we see that the true Egypt, the true Babylon, the true everything is at a spiritual realm and the true fight has to be taken to a spiritual realm. So the persecutions could be defined uh, for us as shutting us out of society, shutting us up even unto death. It, It can and will come. All of this and more will naturally give us no shortage of persecutions and rejections uh, and certainly the suffering of humiliations, name-calling, such as uh, conspiracy theorists. And uh, again, the question, should we fight them as freedom fighters and insurrectionists of our cause, following the patterns of the ancients, such as the zealots of Gamala? Should we join modern-day militias bring down the corrupt governments of our world. Okay, so it seems from reading scripture, the answer is... No, flee to the hills if you have to. There's people always fighting against the system and trying to bring it down. Yeah, same happened 2,000 years ago. So, Zan, if we seek to turn people into zealots for the spiritual messianic cause that we believe in, 
Are we not in reality drawing those people away from the kingdom of heaven, which will come in its time? Yeah, it's good to be zealous, but according to righteousness. And the way we understand according to righteousness, it is according to the justness that we have in Messiah Mm. and what he did to set us free. Are we zealous for that? And are we making zealots for that righteousness, that justness? Or are we turning people into zealots fighting against Rome? So when we are exposing the evils that are going on around us, I would think that we have to be very careful to not expose in order to create more zealots. Or the wrong kind of zealot. Ask yourself, are you the right? Am I the right kind of zealot? What am I zealous for? It's good to be zealous. Some people are so asleep, they're zealous for nothing. And it's being lukewarm is pointless. Being hot or cold, you're useful. But what are you hot or cold about? What are you hot or cold for? So those that are lukewarm, get them to be zealous, but zealous according to righteousness. So we need to expose in order to help set the people free. That's the purpose of exposing stuff. I'm thinking of uh, a passage that uh, Yeshua said in Mark 7, 6-7. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written from Isaiah 29, 13. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of Men And these commandments of men, the learned commandments of men, include Matthew eleven twelve. Would you read that for us? And from the days of John the Immerser until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We're seeing that today. So Yeshua gave witness to Pontius Pilate in John eighteen thirty six. We've read this several times already. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, what would we be doing? We would be fighting for this world. We will be pulling out our swords, cutting off ears and heads, and we would not have had him crucified. But Yeshua says, my kingdom is not from here. So therefore, we shouldn't be fighting in that particular way. Not if we want to be accurate according to the biblical teaching. And it seems like if we're expecting a time of great falling away and a time of great deception... Even though if we look in the world, it seems more and more people are becoming religious zealots. And if religiousness was the goal, spirituality was the goal, then we're doing fine. More and more people are turning to some kind of religious comfort. But if that is the goal, then it seems like the prophecies are not right that deception will come in, very few will make it. Maybe that's the deception, is that being a religious zealot um, of an earthly kingdom and a Barabbas as a Messiah is not the goal, but a different kingdom and a different world. A story of what happened in Nuremberg, Germany. Do you remember the Eichmann trials? I do recall that, yeah. Uh-huh. That was uh, 1961. I, w- I was a young young boy at that time, yeah. Yeah, this, this uh, we should share with the listeners this um, amazing insight that this man came to, which is an insight that we should all come to at some point in our lives. It was about a Jewish writer and a uh, a uh, Holocaust survivor. His name was Yechiel Dinur. He was born as Yechiel Feiner, uh, but he was better known by his pen name Katsetnik. 
and he was giving some testimony at the trial there uh, in front of the uh, Nuremberg judges. The cameras were there, the journalists, and everyone was there. And that day in court, he collapsed and he fainted, right? Mm -hmm. When um, Eichmann was brought into the court mm -hmm. and Denure just fainted. There was huge speculation about, oh, you know, what he what? must he must have fainted because he was so overcome with, with shock and horror and hatred and all those feared mm -hmm. memories that he had gone through. Apparently that's what not what it was, not according to him. As he uh, himself recounted, he realized that uh, Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths, uh, he said that this Eichmann was an ordinary man. The, the statement that is really telling, really interesting, is what he went on to say in front of everybody giving a testimony. Yechiel went on to say, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. Which brings out the difference between the Pharisee praying in synagogue Thank you that I'm not like that sinner and like that tax collector. I'm not like Eichmann, right? Instead, the one that was blessed and redeemed is the one down on his knees and say, that is me. I am like Eichmann. I am like the tax collector. I am the sinner. And only from that position can we have compassion for the Eichmanns and the Bill Gateses and the Fauci's and the people in this world. We don't have to have compassion for their evil systems. We have to expose them. Mm -hmm. But for the people that are still caught in those systems, once we realize that there by the grace of God go I, only then can we have the same compassion that, that was had for us and we can have it for them. So in my flesh, I am Rome, I am Babylon, I am Egypt, and I too can be easily drawn into fighting for a Barabbas type of cause, as you can also, as all of us can, and yes, even dying for a Barabbas type of cause, all of us. Yes, and in my flesh, I can, like Rome and the religious zealots of 2,000 years ago, be the one saying, crucify him, crucify him, choosing a different Messiah and denying the true Messiah. It's interesting. Uh, this is actually uh, shown to us a little bit here in uh, Acts 5, 36 through 37. Luke is giving us the recounting of something that had happened before Yeshua had started his ministry long before that. For some time ago, says... Luke, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who believed him were scattered, and some came to nothing. After this man, Yehuda, or Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And uh, I think this is what happened to, to the Jerusalem of Yeshua's day and Paul's day. Uh, Revelation 11, 7 through 8, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our master was crucified. 
And that ties in with Galatians 4.25. For this, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her sons. So what do we learn from all of this? We could say that Egypt, Rome, Babylon, Mm -hmm. Jerusalem, Sodom, Gomorrah, These are all metaphors of a dreadful spiritual condition, which is why we need to be born from above to rectify the condition of sin and death that we inherited when we came into this world from below. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, uh, John 3, 3 through 7. Uh, This is when Yeshua was um, speaking to Nicodemus and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I love Yeshua's response. Uh, He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born from above. Very powerful. So is the Jerusalem that we know and love in this natural world, is this the great fulfillment of all prophecy and of all joy and you know the Torah goes forth out of Jerusalem is is this Jerusalem the one that our eyes are supposed to be set on I don't think so it seems not yet not yet not until the Jerusalem above comes down and connects with the Jerusalem below I lived there for many years it was a very corrupt place Politically, spiritually, economically, it, it's a it's a it's a very very hard place. It's not a righteous place at all. So a lot of people are going to listen to me and say, "Ah, oh, come on, Avi, you know what? Are you, you know what? What are you talking about? You know, it's the grand holy city. It's it's the fulfillment of everything that we know and love. The Torah will go forth out of Jerusalem. You know, Ki Mitzion Torah. The Torah will go forth out of Jerusalem. And I'm going. No, I I think this is speaking about the one above, not the one below. So Yeshua then. Said, Says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born from above. And the calling is there on that land and that set-apart piece of ground and the set-apart people that I myself have now been grafted into, the people called Israel. But only a remnant will be part of that final kingdom. And um, the final Jerusalem, the mountain where the Torah will go forth from, that is going to come down from above. So it reminds me of uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 16 to 18. You want to read that for us, please? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says Jehovah. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says Yehovah El Shaddai. As I would understand the things that we're talking about, it seems that exposing the many lies and corruptions of this world by shining the divine light of Messiah is our biblical mandate, and that is why it is considered good. 
but joining groups to fight and war against all the evils of the world is not for us. Uh, fighting in the natural, that's the key, yeah. We should be zealous to fight a spiritual fight and be ambassadors of a different kingdom. Uh, would you read uh, Deuteronomy 32:41? If I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. Isaiah 61 verse 2 adds to this, and the day of vengeance of our Elohim, our God. So that's coming. But there is a time for peace and a time for war. We are to proclaim peace in Messiah. He come to bring peace to the world and divide the different groups, um, a sword between us in terms of which kingdom we fall in. When we say the word peace in biblical Hebrew, the word peace, shalom, is the idea of wholeness. And, and what wholeness are we talking about? It's the wholeness from our spiritual fallen condition. He didn't come to bring peace that we should lay down our swords and just proclaim uh, that we won't shoot at one another. Mm -hmm. The peace that he proclaimed is a wholeness that can only be in him, the prince of peace that we should be proclaiming. And pray or inquire about the peace, the wholeness of Jerusalem, that wholeness is only in him, the prince of wholeness in Messiah Yeshua. It's not saying that we're going to have lack of conflict. No, no, the conflict is going to increase. He brings a division as his light divided darkness and light. His light will divide between the two kingdoms and clearly show the difference between the two. So I'm, I'm thinking again what we quoted previously, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. In other words, that we are zealots for Messiah from above and not zealots for Barabbas from below. As ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven above, we can expect persecution and trouble as we seek to shine the divine light of the word with grace and truth, knowing that the master has already provided us the victory, even in the midst of their hate for us. But Yeshua said it in Matthew 5, 39 to 42. Reading it is easy, Avi. It's doing it. <laughs> That's the hard part. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. These are not easy to hear words, and even harder to, to actually walk in them. What might we call this entire strategy? I would define it as difficult at best. Unnatural. Unnatural is a good word, yeah. Uh, it goes against the grain of our flesh. It burns. It's like we're not going to like it for certain. But for one that is already redeemed, the biblical way has been made very clear. So in short, it all comes down to a war of the worlds between two kingdoms, the Messiah's kingdom of light or the Barabbas kingdom of might. So we have light or might. Calvary or cavalry. Insurrectionist or 
resurrectionist. There you go, yeah. A renewed commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want to thank you, Suzanne, for joining me here to have this discussion on uh, the war of the worlds. And uh, I really appreciate hearing your perspective. Absolutely. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and we'll see you next time on Real Israel Talk Radio. This podcast was brought to you by the Outreach Ministry of www.cominghome.co.il. Yah willing, we'll hope to see you for the next podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Thank you for sharing your time with us. This is Suzanne, Avi's wife and helper. 